Hello, welcome to Care Talk. My name is Laura Packard, and I am the Executive Director of Healthcare Voter. And I've also been a patient because a few years ago I was diagnosed with cancer, and I went through our American healthcare system firsthand. And on our show, we answer your healthcare and health insurance questions uh, with the experts. So please call or text in your questions, and we will answer them in a future episode. Our first question today is from Leah in California. Hi, this is Leah from California. question is, my boyfriend has cancer and he was seeing an oncologist and a primary care provider for three or four years. When he turned 65 last month, he changed insurance to, we was talked into Medicare Advantage. And when he went back to his primary care provider who was listed on in the network when set up his Medicare Advantage and his primary care doctors, they both said that do not accept Medicare Advantage, which was actually a network called Align. He was talked into it and he was assured and list, those doctors were listed in the alignment network. When he went to see his doctors, they said, we cannot see you anymore. And he was dropped as a patient after three or four years. He is now in the ICU suffering with related cancer-associated um, that are attributed, may or may not be attributed to cancer probably. That's my question. How is it that you can sign up for Medicare Advantage and with your doctors listed in the network and then be dropped a month later that the doctors drop you and say they are no longer in that network? That is really put us with in a great hardship and heart. The other doctors that we tried to took are not accepting new patients for like until October to have care. So it's been heartbreaking. Thank you for your question, Leah. And to answer that question, we have Diane Archer from Just Care USA and Social Security Works. Yes, I am so, so sorry, Leah, about this. Um, I, my first piece of advice right away is you should contact Medicare and see about retroactively disenrolling from your Medicare Advantage plan and into traditional Medicare uh, with a supplemental policy. You were misled into joining the Medicare Advantage plan. Unfortunately, what has happened in this case with your boyfriend is not atypical. It's quite common for people to be misled into thinking that their doctors are in a Medicare Advantage network when they're not but you should have the right to get out of that plan and into traditional Medicare where you can see those doctors. So check on that immediately. But let me say a little bit more about this specific issue, which is in Medicare Advantage, unlike in the traditional Medicare program, you can't count ever on staying with the same doctors and getting continuity of care. And that's because these Medicare Advantage plans are allowed to have people in their networks and then have those people leave their networks any time of the year. So even if their provider directory is accurate today, tomorrow it might reflect errors because doctors have left. And then there's a bigger problem, which is often they are inaccurate to begin with. And so people are misled into joining just based on that. What we always advise is that you call your doctors that you want to see if you're joining a Medicare event to confirm that those doctors are in the network 
before joining and that they'll stay in the network before you sign up. But you should have a right to retroactively disenroll and also the right then to get a Medigap policy, which um, will cost some money. But let me say, too, that a lot of people are persuaded to sign up for Medicare Advantage because they believe that they'll spend less and get more than in traditional Medicare. And that could be true sometimes for people who don't have um, any health conditions or have very few and small conditions, but it's generally not true for people like your boyfriend with cancer and people with other costly conditions because out-of-pocket costs and Medicare Advantage can easily be over $5,000 a year and they can be actually as high as $7,550 a year. Whereas in traditional Medicare, once you buy your supplemental policy, which is about $2,500 for the year, you have almost no out-of-pocket costs whatsoever. So traditional Medicare not only gives you the freedom to go to the doctors and use the hospitals you want to use, but it also um, protects you from any additional financial costs if you have supplemental coverage. Um, I just want to also um, warn folks that um, the issue that Leah's boyfriend faces um, with his cancer doctors is an issue that a lot of people face with their drug coverage. They'll sign up for a Medicare Advantage plan thinking that their drugs are covered because they're listed in the um, in the plan as being covered at a particular cost. And then they'll find that either they're not covered a couple months later or that the costs are higher. There is really very little you can count. And now I just want to switch for one or two minutes to the bigger issue. And this is the issue we find um, most problematic with Medicare Advantage, which is the way they're paid. They're paid a flat fee up front based on their assessment of your health. And that ends up driving up costs in Medicare Advantage. It leads to bigger payments to the Medicare Advantage plans. But it also creates a financial disincentive for these plans to have top oncologists and cancer centers in their networks. They want to attract the people with the least costly conditions. Or if they do attract people with costly conditions, they want to keep their care to as low a cost as possible. That's how they get to keep as much of that upfront payment they get as they can and maximize their profits. So the incentives are not aligned with people's needs. Again, if you're healthy, there's no issue. But if you're sick, you are very likely to find that your Medicare Advantage plan is not there for um. Looks like uh, Diane froze up there for a second. Uh, so we'll get back to her. Uh, our next question is, uh, tell us about uh, open enrollment for health insurance. Can you enroll through a health insurance plan through the Affordable Care Act now? Uh, and who's eligible? And if not now, uh, when are you eligible? Uh, to answer that question, Alika from Health Sherpa. Thanks, Laura. So open enrollment, um, which is the time in the year when anyone can enroll in an ACA plan, um, unfortunately has passed for uh, 2022 plans. Um, that generally runs every year from around November 1st to January 5th. Um, so we are now what's in called the special enrollment period, which means that in order to apply for, in order to apply for an Affordable Care Act plan, 
um, you actually have to have a qualifying life event. So that could be, for example, losing coverage through a prior job um, or through, uh, for example, uh, other types of coverage like Medicaid. Um, it could be that you moved, um, you had a change in family size because you got married or had a baby. Um, there is a, a very, very long list of, of reasons that you might qualify. Um, for 2022, a really important thing to know is that there's a new qualifying life event based on income. So the um, what happens with that is that you can um, actually enroll any time of year right now if you um, meet certain income thresholds. So if you expect, um, if you're a single person filing your taxes solo um, and you expect to make less than about $20,000 uh, this year, you would be eligible to enroll any time. Um, if you uh, are a family of four, that goes up to uh, around $40,000. So within those income limits, um, you, you, you're eligible to enroll right now if, if that's uh, something that applies to you. Um, otherwise, again, I would say that if you're not sure if one of these qualifying life events applies to you, it is always a good idea to double check um, and see if, if there might be one on that longer list that, that applies to your situation. Um, and in order to figure that out, you can certainly call healthcare.gov or your state exchange um, or talk to a trusted local uh, assistor or broker who can who can help you go through go through that list. Thank you, Alika. And Diane is back uh, to finish answering Leah's question. Tech issue, but 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 Great. Yes. Okay. So the bigger issue with Medicare Advantage is that there is this fundamental um, disincentive financially for the Medicare Advantage of a costly or complex condition because they lose money on you. And it, it's, it's sort of counterintuitive, and a lot of people don't appreciate this, but at the end of the day, while they get paid a little bit more to treat people who are sick, they make greater profits on people who are healthy. And when they have people who are sick, they generally design their plans in ways to delay and deny care. And so there's been a lot of reporting recently about inappropriate delays and denials of care and coverage in Medicare Advantage, particularly for people with costly conditions. And there's also been some reporting in the last couple of years about how the Medicare Advantage plans more often than not refer people to lower quality hospitals, skilled nursing facilities, and home health care. So the short of this is that if you are sick or if you want to be protected, if you develop a costly condition, you are much better off in traditional Medicare, both from a financial perspective and from an access to care perspective than you generally are in Medicare Advantage. Now, let me just qualify that by saying there could be some Medicare Advantage plans that are doing good things for people who are sick at less cost. But the problem is we don't know which ones those are. And the government star rating program does not tell you. So plans with five-star ratings may still be delaying and denying care inappropriately. And we're working really hard now to get Congress and um, the Department of Health and Human Services to identify the bad actors of Medicare Advantage so people can steer clear of them. And, and basically what the government should do is cancel those contracts so people are protected against bad actors. And Medicare. But for now, we don't have that. So your greatest protection is to avoid these do if you can afford the, co the cost of supplemental coverage. 
Thank you, Diane. Uh, and our next question is about uh, when is open enrollment uh, for Medicare? When can you enroll and when can you switch plans if you want to switch? Okay, very important. It's not Medicare open enrollment is not until October 15th and it goes until December 7th. And during that period, you can switch from traditional Medicare to a Medicare Advantage plan. You can switch Medicare Advantage, but you may not be able to switch to traditional Medicare and pick up supplemental coverage because you don't have a guaranteed right to supplemental coverage. And insurers offering supplemental coverage to fill gaps in traditional Medicare, which doesn't have an out-of-pocket cap, um, can charge an arm and a leg at that point for you, you to get that coverage. And so a lot of people end up being locked into Medicare Advantage once they join Medicare Advantage because they can't get back the supplemental coverage that they're able to buy when they're first eligible for Medicare. And that's a big problem because they don't really have the choices that they may need if they need to get out of Medicare. Let me say one more thing before I end, which is you should, um, and we are always reminding viewers, to contact your members of Congress, your senators and your congressperson, to let them know your concerns about your health care. Um, in this case, Leah should be contacting her senators and member of Congress about what's happening with her, medic, her boyfriend's medicine, because often they can intervene on your behalf and help you through a tricky situation. Thank you, Diane. And speaking of Congress, our special guest today is Anne from Protect Our Care, and she's going to be talking about what Congress is up to this week uh, with the Inflation Reduction Act and what that means for your health. Welcome, Anne. Hi, thank you so much, Laura. Um, I'm very excited to be here this week today because uh, usually, you know, we don't have such good news, but um, in, here in D.C., things can get uh, pretty frustrating. We've been trying to pass a big piece of legislation here uh, for over a year now and have had a lot of fits and starts. And we thought that we were going to um, get what was called the Build Back Better Act passed last fall. Um, and and so it's felt, felt like a, a really, really long time coming. But yesterday, the Senate moved forward and passed the Inflation Reduction Act out of uh, the Senate. So now it moves on to the House. And this is huge. This bill is historic and it it's not easy. You know, it is, is <laughs> you know, Washington can get a bad rap about, um, you know, how it works and this, how the sausage is made. Um, but it, it is really hard to do these things. And, and folks worked really, really hard to get it done over the course of, you know, Biden's presidency. We've been talking about this bill um, and specifically the healthcare provisions in it. Um, you know, so it, while it's not quite as strong as maybe what we wanted and what was passed last fall in the house, like I said, in Build Back Better, I can't downplay it enough. This, this is, I, I don't want to downplay it. This is huge. Um, there's still things we're going to be fighting for that aren't in this bill, 
but this bill is going to have a tremendous impact on millions of Americans. It is the biggest piece of healthcare legislation since the Affordable Care Act was passed over a decade ago. So this is definitely great news for people. Um, and you know, it, it's gonna have a real impact in people's lives. I think sometimes with legislation you might not see right away, or you know, you might not, you you know something passed, but you don't know how it will impact you. You know, everybody has somebody in their lives that is struggling with the cost of prescription drugs or struggling to afford their care. And this bill makes real impacts and real strides in helping people on that. So um, good news. And we're expecting it to pass. It's gonna, it's making its way through the house. Uh, all indications are that it it will pass in the house, but you know, definitely can't hurt, like uh, Laura said, to contact your member of Congress uh, to, to make sure that they're on board. Um, but we do expect it to pass the house and to be signed into law by, um, by President Biden. So what is the Inflation Reduction Act and, and what does it do? Um, you know, we've been talking about it for a long time. Um, and but, you know, what what provisions are actually in here? Because uh, different things were brought up and negotiated and going through the budget reconciliation process and what could actually stand. Um, so this bill lowers prescription drug prices by giving Medicare the power to negotiate lower costs for millions of Americans. It caps seniors out-of-pocket drug costs at $2,000 per year, and it really just stops big pharma's egregious annual price hikes. Um, and it lowers healthcare premiums by extending the ACA financial assistance for three years. So if you remember, um, you know, back when the rescue plan was passed, um, there was a temporary, you know, we extended these, uh, these financial assistance to help people be able to afford the plans that they purchase on the, um, on the ACA exchange. And so this would then um, make sure that people have that extended for three more years, which is huge now because, you know, this is this bill, it's called the Inflation Reduction Act, and it's really coming at a time when, when people um, need this more than ever. Uh, you know, the, the costs are high um, and, and this will, will have an impact help bring those down. Um, so if you kind of look at some of the numbers, 49 million Part D beneficiaries will have out-of-pocket costs for prescription drugs capped at $2,000 per year. Uh, we work with a lot of storytellers and, and uh, at Protect Our Care, um, healthcare advocates um, who, who tell us their stories and and, um, you know, we work with Laura a lot, too, on things like that. And so I've heard from so many people that th this particular provision would benefit so much because if you, you if you have a particularly expensive, um, uh, you know, you might have a particularly expensive cancer medication. You might hear my dog. I'm really sorry. Um, you might have a really expensive cancer medication and um, that you're really struggling to afford. This would cap your prescription drug costs. So you, you know, really people would be saving thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, some people would be able to be saving thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, 80 prescription drugs will have Medicare price negotiations by 2030. So, you know, that won't be seen uh, right away, but as time goes on, the impacts of that will really grow and grow. Um, and 13 million Americans will save on their health insurance premiums by, you know, like, as I said, having the uh, premiums, 
premium assistance, financial assistance extended for three more years. So, I mean, this is, this is a really big deal. It's historic. Like I said, it is the biggest piece of legislation since the ACA. Um, and this isn't something that's easy to do. You know, Congress after Congress and president have, after president have said they're going to rein in drug costs and have failed. So now we're really seeing President Biden and, um, and the Democrats in Congress, they're, they're, they delivered on their promises to, to get this done um, and standing up to the drug companies. And this bill is extremely popular. The healthcare provisions in it in particular, poll after poll, demonstrate overwhelming support for lowering healthcare costs um, using the provisions that are in the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, over 80% of Americans support giving Medicare the power to negotiate for lower drug prices, and that includes over 80% of Republicans and independents. Um, and uh, when it comes to renewing the ACA subsidies, 71% uh, of voters uh, say that it's important to renew them. And that includes 68% of independents and 55% of Republicans. So these provisions are really popular kind of across the board. And this legislation is answering a call by Americans to address rising costs and inflation. And it really is desperately needed. Um, like I said, people are struggling uh, with rising inflation, but they're, you know, they're struggling to afford their prescription drugs. Um, on average, Americans, uh, Americans spend on average, excuse me, $1,200 per person every year on prescription drugs. And that's higher than any other industrialized nation. Um, and we're paying three to four times more for the same prescription drugs as people in other countries. And this is happening while big drug, drug companies are making record-breaking profits. And this just shouldn't happen. In the wealthiest nation on earth, no one should have to choose between putting food on the table and affording the medications they need to survive. So, you know, this plan will, you know, finally do something to rein in, in um, Big Pharma, and and they have, you may have seen the ads. I definitely saw them here in the DC television market, but um, Big Pharma, they, they spent over $100 million lobbying this year alone to try to kill any of these proposals that would rein in their drug costs um, and threaten their ma massive profits. And so it's it's really not easy to take, it's kind of taking on this, this big behemoth. And even though it, you know, it didn't have maybe all of the provisions that uh, that we wanted, I think it's a very important first step to really take on pharma because you you've never really seen a win against them like this. Um, our founder and chair Leslie Doc pointed out the other day that you know pharma is starting to lose their invincibility a little bit, and so once that happens, it's a lot easier for people to kind of take the next step. So. You know, we're kind of seeing this as as a beginning, um, and you know, it's a it's a huge deal on its own, and it'll it'll really help people. It'll help seniors, um, and not only that, it like starts the crucial process of trying to increase affordability and equity in healthcare coverage. So, um, it is a crucial step, and it is a really big deal. It's very exciting. And uh, so I think that we can, you know, advocates, and, you know, that who have worked on this can, you know, really congratulate themselves and take this win because uh, it doesn't happen every day. 
in, in DC for sure. Uh, <laughs> felt like many times that this wouldn't happen to people persisted. And so that's amazing. And of course, there's a lot to be done. There's a lot more, more uh, fight out there. But, you know, um, definitely take the moment to we, we need to celebrate this momentous achievement, I think, and then and then uh, and then on to more work. Thank you, Anne. Uh, and a question for Alika: How specifically is this going to affect health insurance rates uh, that people through the Affordable Care Act for next year? Great question, Laura. This is, I mean, I want to echo Anne. This is a huge deal. It's going to really impact um, millions of people um, getting coverage through the Affordable Care Act exchanges. Um, and just to give you a sense, um, you know, we have obviously. Um, it's really important when we talk about ACA coverage to distinguish between gross premiums, which is sort of the advertised rate, and net premiums, which are what you actually pay after you are offered a subsidy. And one really important thing that the American Rescue Plan did, which um, the Inflation Reduction Act is, is looking to extend, um, is that now, uh, before beforehand, before the American Rescue Plan, uh, people who made over certain income thresholds would pay the entirety of that gross rate, um, no matter you know how unaffordable it might be for them. Um, now, uh, this status quo today, which we're really thrilled, looks like it, you know, fingers crossed, is going to be extended, is um, that no one is going to pay more than about eight and a half percent of your income. Um, so, just to give you a sense, before the American Rescue Plan, I believe there were there were estimates that. Um, a 64-year-old couple, so just below the Medicare uh, age, who made just too much to qualify for subsidies, um, the American Rescue Plan saved them about $17,000 in a year. And that those savings are going to stick around um, if, if these subsidies are extended, which is amazing. Um, so big, uh, big, big part of this is keeping subsidies around for people who previously would not have qualified for any financial assistance. Um, and then the second part of that is really keeping care more affordable for people who are um, lower income and, and previously did qualify for subsidies. The, the first iteration of um, these expansions um, made care even more affordable for those folks. And to give you a sense of why that's really important, um, you know, on the Affordable Care Act marketplace, we talk about two different kinds of financial assistance. The first is that subsidy which uh, lowers your premium. And the second are cost sharing reductions, which make going to see the doctor more affordable. So they make your deductible lower, they make your co-pays lower. The problem is that those extra savings can only be used on silver plans, um, which often are a higher premium. So before the American Rescue Plan, what we saw a lot of the time is people were giving up benefits that they qualified for because they couldn't afford those raw premiums. And these subsidy expansions are going to keep those silver plans even um, more affordable uh, or as affordable of the, as they've been and more affordable than they were before, allowing people to actually get, you know, maximum bang for their buck and actually use their coverage, which is amazing. Absolutely. And a question for you, Anne. So uh, the the original plan was to uh, cap um, co-pays for insulin for everybody, even if you had private insurance at $35 a month. But uh, Republicans forced a vote to take that out. Uh, so that only lost by three votes. Uh, what can we as activists do to make sure that we can pass an insulin cap next year? Yeah, that was really unfortunate. It was kind of expected that that might happen. You know, it had to go through this procedural process uh, called the birdbath where, you know, the parliamentarian had to decide 
um, what could go through budget reconciliation. And unfortunately, because the Republicans challenged on that one provision, um, we lost a really a provision that would have really helped so many people. Obviously, insulin is like water to people who are diabetic. It is absolutely necessary for their for their life. Um, and it's becoming more and more expensive. So this provision is hugely popular. And as you said, the Republicans did challenge that. So that did have to be unfortunately taken out of um, the Inflation Reduction Act. So, you know, there was some talk of bipartisan uh, work on insulin drug prices. And so, you know, now that this hasn't made it through this particular bill, the um, Inflation Reduction Act, I, I definitely would um, encourage uh, anybody to reach out to their members of Congress. And, you know, I think activists and advocates will really be pushing this issue because it is something that we can potentially get done in a bipartisan way. Um, and, and you know, and if not, really let those Republican members know that that that, that you wanted this to, to get through because it, it would have helped anyone, not just people um, who have Medicare, but anyone who has insurance. Um, so, you know, we definitely want to expand it to there and beyond. So really that anyone who needs insulin is able to afford it. So I think there can be opportunities for bipartisanship if people really make it known that this is something that they really want. There are a handful of senators who I think would be open to that um, on the Republican side. And then, you know, we can just like maybe look for other opportunities such as, you know, reconciliation. Hopefully there'll be other opportunities in the future uh, where where we can get something done in, um, you know, and in, in, in figure out a way that it would pass uh, through the parliamentarian. But because it is potentially bipartisan issue, I, I do encourage everybody to make a biggest think about it as possible. Thank you, Han. And just to clarify, what's in the bill is a cap for people with Medicare. Uh, what got taken out was a cap for people with private insurance. Uh, so that's the piece that uh, we were only three votes away. So this November, pay attention to the people running for Senate in your state what their stance is on capping the cost of insulin and uh, vote accordingly. Because again, only three votes away, we could pick up those votes in November for next year. So thank you everybody for listening to Care Talk. Please keep calling and uh, texting in your questions. We'll answer them in future episodes. And also call your representative because the Senate has voted the U.S. House has not yet voted. So they need to hear from you that you want them to vote for the Inflation Reduction Act uh, to keep all the health care pieces in it and that they should keep working to lower health care for everyone. Health care costs. <laughs>